Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. I'm Alex. And I'm Eight Written, uh, or Britain, uh, to you to you bio-organisms out there. <laughs> you, you, you meat bags walking around with your with your carbon-based uh, situations. You've, you've thrown this all off because, uh, yeah, we, dear listener, we were talking about uh, M3GAN, the new horror movie coming out. Uh, but you were supposed to save that joke until we review it for the podcast. Oh, I'm sad. Uh, when we right. do the... Well, I'm just wetting, wetting everybody's whistle with that. No, my, my DNA has been modified on a cellular level. You see? <laughs> <laughs> a sentence that I got to hear 14 times between two movies yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you took the powers of the... Uh, oh, I don't know. The uh, exciting eight. Uh, and you put them all into your body. <laughs> become eight written. Yeah. <laughs> um we're starting a franchise it's a new, we year, are. new franchise this is i i i feel like if if we could like talk to every person live at the end of the last podcast and be like hey give, give your give your vote votes for like what what movie we're gonna do next um i don't think i think we could have polled a thousand people and i don't think any of them would have come up with Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. <laughs> but here we are. Yeah, so we're, we're spitballing just different ideas for franchises to go with because we weren't really sure where to proceed after the holidays. And we're, you know, thinking of, you know, potential options that would be a little bit more straightforward and, and maybe some some people in that, that, that thousand-member survey would be able to think of. And... I can't remember. Britain, it might have been you. Somebody threw out like, oh, Fantastic Four. We haven't actually done those. Which is a little weird. Like we've done Blade, but we haven't done Fantastic Four. Um, I think I kept assuming that y'all had already done it. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. Without me. I think I think that was part of it. Yeah. And then I, I threw out like, well, I feel like just for historical purposes, we need to do the Roger Corman one just because I feel like that's a huge key part of all of this as a franchise. Um, I know it doesn't play by our traditional rules because this movie technically wasn't ever released, but it's still just kind of a weird oddity that we need yeah. to discuss. So that's why we're doing it. Um, it, it this is this is one of the weirdest franchises I think we'll ever do. Yes, and yeah. I think as a justification, the movie by the people who made the movie, the intention was to release this in theaters. Yes. And then weird rights things happened, so you know we we can we can we can say that that it's a unique case and it's worth checking out anyway. Yeah, we can get into that, and and this we'll be pulling a lot of our our information about the production of this from the documentary that I've I've previously recommended called Doomed: The Untold Story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four. I'm the only one that's watched it all the way through. Tyler watched most, most of, it, of it, and. Britain can get into his misadventures trying to watch a Fantastic Four movie, um, <laughs> but it's harder than you think. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, the the documentary is fantastic, and I would say, pun intended, and I would say that if you're mildly interested in this, maybe check out that documentary first before you actually watch this movie, because <laughs> I I feel like you could go in with the wrong impression and then like turn this off like 15 minutes in. And I, I think the documentary actually sheds a lot of light on 
the reason why the movie is the way that it is. Sure. So, but uh, yeah, so surprisingly, even though this is not a theatrically released film, it does actually have Rotten Tomato scores. <laughs> Which is weird because Rotten Tomatoes is such a legitimate yeah. thing to take seriously. Yes. I, I, I write down the scores every week, Britain. How dare you disparage my good work? You. <laughs> we work with the data that we have, okay? I did and look. We're at, not using IMDb. Dang it! I, I did. I mean, we've done that. We, uh, Game of Thrones. It's fine. <laughs> Season Which is eight why is we're fine. not using IMDb. Dang it! <laughs> um, I, I did look at some of the critic, like the the general quotes, and one of them appears to be a review of one of the uh, Tim Story Fantastic Four films. The rest <laughs> of them, I think, are this one. But it's just yeah. <laughs> Um, so the fantastic one, one is just one is just Roger Ebert saying this basement I'm watching this in doesn't have any good snacks. <laughs> it's just bugles and witch fingers is only funny so many times. Anyway, continue. And then he got upset that there were just saltines. It was my basement. <laughs> it was mine. <laughs> you were like legendary critic Roger Ebert come down to this seven year old's basement and watch this unreleased <laughs> superhero film you know anyway you know I was shocked that he accepted the invitation that was that, you know that, hey, that's all I had you got a persuasive dad go on with the story <laughs> uh, the Fantastic Four um, I guess I, can I even say this is from 1994 because it was never yeah. released <laughs> made in 1994 um i think it was it might have been made earlier than that but they were planning to release it in 94 so we'll just stick with that um directed by i don't even know how to say his name ole sasson so i I could be butchering that um apologies if that's the case it has a 27 percent on rotten tomatoes from the critics that's with 11 reviews so that's not a whole lot to go off of and it has a 31 percent audience score this cool. movie's um, cute. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good I word for it. do actually have a synopsis for this film. All right. All right. Oh, my uh, God. By which I mean the synopsis for The Fantastic Four reads thus. The Fantastic Four is an unreleased, low-budget feature film completed in 1994, created to secure copyright to the property. The producers never intended it for release, although the directors, actors, and other participants were not informed of this fact. It was produced by low-budget specialist Roger Corman, and Bernd Eichinger, who also produced another Fantastic Four movie in 2005. You know, some other thing. Those are showtimes. I think that's a good way to describe the 2005 Fantastic Four film, if if we're being honest here. Another Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, it's fine. You know, I I did have an interesting... It wasn't that interesting. I just made hay out of it. I (laughs) mistakenly thought we were starting with the 2000-something... Was it four or five? Five. Five. Five Fantastic Four movie, Ironically. and so I watched about. I was twenty seven minutes into it before I sent a just, I mean, hilarious joke. Really real. I mean, these boys have been applying liniment oil to their legs all day because they were slapping their <laughs> knees so hard. I was. Uh, it was just crazy. But I um, and I was like, Brittany, are you watching that one first? And I went, Ah, beans. The literal word I used. We are. <laughs> No, it was much more uh, R-rated. Um, it was I used the language you'd hear in Jamie and Chazelle's Babylon, probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or M. Thregan. <laughs> or 
or M3. God, I hope it's PG-13. Um, <laughs> oh, you don't know what... I, oh, man. Anyway, sorry. I, so I, I was mistaken and, and didn't know we were actually starting with this, even though it made more sense. So I didn't absorb the movie properly because it very quickly became a 90-minute thing I had to get get finished with. Um, that said, I like it. And from what I have seen of the 2005 movie, the 27 minutes, I think I'm going to end up liking this one more. M3 can is PG-13. That's incredible. Yes! <laughs> I... Okay, that's that's a fact I know now. No right. cusses in M3 can. <laughs> Or very economic cussing. <laughs> that, well, that, that, I feel like that ruins, like, her, the kills, right? Like, how are they gonna. Do we know she kills him? Yeah, what do you. What's that maybe about? she's just like a. Maybe just mean. <laughs> maybe she's just like. This is your new doll, and she's like, you're wearing that. You know, you know how <laughs> I said that? Movie. You know how I said that? I don't think anybody would have guessed that we uh, were gonna review Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. I. That that was a like yeah I'm pretty sure that this would this is coming out of left left field for most people I I feel 100 percent confident that we are the first podcast episode in the history of anything to raise both Roger Corman's Fantastic Four and M Threegan uh, <laughs> in the same kind of breath here yeah. so I think we've achieved something yeah I think so too um, this movie the Fantastic Four <laughs> I, I I I did find it kind of a good bad situation and also kind of charming so so this was when it was initially alex you say it was preserved on a vhs which has then been itself trans trans uh transposed onto dvd or youtube yeah so like the the picture and audio quality of of it on youtube is murky shall we say not unwatchable and even before that the sound design wasn't even complete yeah, it's 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 kind of a messy thing, which I think kind of added to the experience for me. But I, I said that this movie looks like it was simultaneously shot for a double feature in 1974, but also like a TV movie of the week in 1989. <laughs> like it's a, the exact combo of those two things. Yeah. It's both very scrappy and very milky. Very like like the the score is always going. Yes. They, the mu- the the music slider is cranked the up. Score to is fire. Um. It is. It's big, and I love it. <laughs> Apparently, the the I think it was a, a pair of brothers that scored Eric the film. And Dan Worst, apparently, they actually okay. like footed the or bill David, on that. Sorry. David, not they're David. they were like, we're gonna get together a forty piece orchestra because we care about this, and we're gonna actually like yeah. go all out. <laughs> it's great. Like there are so many moments where I thought I was watching an old ad for like compilation CDs of love songs. And it's all like <laughs> longer than there have been fishes in the ocean, but they just went to an, or- to a boarding house to grab some kids. <laughs> like it's so funny. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, what's funny. You know what else is, is, is interesting about that? Um, it did look up their kind of discography after this, uh, before and after this. Uh, <clears throat> I couldn't really find much on David Worse. I think maybe they kind of do the same thing. People, all the time and people attribute them both to the same thing. I don't know. Either way, uh, one of the worst brothers, at least, uh, has gone on to score a number of theme park rides. Oh, good. The clues have been here <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> Scorsese says he's never seen a modern. He's he's every time he's he like, Roger Corman's fantastic. Yeah, you mean 
the Fantastic Four. Yeah, I tried it, and I just don't think it's very good. I don't know. <laughs> he, no, he, was, about, he, was the guy that, he was the guy that took the bootleg. He's the one. <laughs> <laughs> he, Martin Scorsese is one of the reasons that we still have like access to Vertigo. So I love the idea that he's like, because he's for a lot of his career champion the preservation of old films. Yeah, and 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 he kind of like Katamari Damacy as he was accruing all these old yeah, films. He's trying to trying to to preserve. He just picked up the Fantastic Four and was like, "Well, let's keep going." Avi <laughs> Arad's throwing the throwing film into the dumpster uh, in the alleyway, and uh, Martin Scorsese, I assume, rides along on a bicycle or whatever, and it's just like 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 one of those big like you know the the big wheel bicycles <laughs> yeah. that have the giant the giant front wheels from like the twenties. Yeah. Uh, he just rides along at that. He's got like these big aviator goggles on, uh, and he just happens to look over. And it's like, oh, okay. And he, and he shakes his head, shakes his head, and he goes, "Wes Anderson, you were right. This would come in handy." <laughs> <laughs> or he crawls out of the sewer like the second bad guy in this movie, the jeweler. Yes. So okay, there's a lot to unpack here. There, Tyler, there is. Uh, you you are the, the the comic expert. I've never read a Fantastic Four comic. I, I don't know them very well. On a base level, and maybe this is a big, not, a too big question to ask, but how do you feel this is as a as a just baseline adaptation of the Fantastic Four I, and their 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 thing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very actually very good in that regard. Like. It is a good adaptation. It just straight up. Yeah. The jeweler is weird. In the documentary, they mentioned that they couldn't use the mole because the the or the sorry the mole man because that wasn't okay. specifically stated. So he's like the mole man, but not in name. Um, Interesting. Which is why he turned out that way on the film. So that's fine. I was wondering about that. I was kind of annoyed, but then I I did watch the documentary and see that. So I was like, okay, fine, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, no, I mean beyond that, like. It's it's pretty much straight from the page. I I mean the the big thing that I think they do here that it doesn't really come up in the comics is that they they use the idea of everyone has certain emotions that they are like repressing and that's what's that's how their power is coming out. Uh, it's like Sue is shy, so she becomes invisible, and uh, the Johnny Storm is angry and fiery, so he's angry and fiery. And like there might be references to that, but I I don't think that's ever really said is like, this is exactly what this is. Sure. You know, what is happening for each of these characters. I had the thing, like it's a constant situation for him where he gets the rock form and then Reed tries to cure him, but the cure it ever holds. He always turns back into rock man. So like that, that's not controlled by whether or not somebody says they love him. <laughs> that's yeah. Kind of, you know, but I think, you know, creative license, this is not like a movie that's going to get a franchise. This is in the nineties. Like for what it is, like, that is such a innocent like adaptation to make it a single complete story that gives you a bit of a satisfying like you know it's it's the movie is not like brilliant I, i'm gonna be probably talking pretty highly about it a lot of the time like you know it's it's not uh like a great <laughs> film no, or no. like underrated gym classic but like i think it is really solid in a lot of ways especially considering it has a you know million maybe two million budget depending on how much everyone ended up putting into it from their own pockets um and like that is one thing that really stuck out to me is like i think you could take this script uh you you'd probably want to do something bigger you'd probably want to make it more complicated and interesting and 
maybe bringing more characters. Obviously, in the MCU, they're going to want to probably introduce a lot more of the kind of surrounding cast of, of the Fantastic Four. But I think at a base level, this is a maybe first draft of a script that you could hand to like a J.J. Abrams and be like, make a Fantastic Four movie. And that would turn out solid. Like you could hand that to just somebody who can just like look at something and be like, all right, I'm going to make, you know, a a pretty looking sci-fi movie. There it is. (laughs) Like, I think, I think it's all there pretty much on the page. I mean, the dialogue's not incredible, but I, I feel like, a lot of the time the acting is what holds it holds it down more. And again, we're talking about a movie that can afford to pay its actors only yeah. what it can pay the actors. Like they're not going to get the most amazing people ever for this. And I think all the actors, especially watching the documentary, but I, I, I was enjoying kind of all of them in their own way, watching the movie, but the documentary, I think especially will make you biased towards them feeling like they're at least putting a lot of their heart into it. And they're really, you know, committing and trying to make it work um so even then i'm not too perturbed by that but like i think it's really solid i mean it is like exactly the basics of the fantastic four story they go up to space they crash down they get involved with doom they find out doom is reed's old school partner uh and it's all pretty much done by the book. Like it's all, it's probably almost too much of an adaptation for like the MCU to do these days. Like they don't, they don't really do stuff that is exactly the same in this way. This, this feels like somebody read the comics and was like, I'm going to adapt this into a story for the most part. The, the, the stuff with doom would be pulling from a few different things, but uh, in the, in the early issues, but like it's all pretty much right there. Um, and I, I was, I really enjoyed that, and like, it made me very frustrated to think about. I mean, we'll talk about some of the movies that have done huge missteps in trying to find a new angle on something. Uh, when I think if you just approach the source material with some, you know, passion and energy, and like, are excited to be trying to bring that material to life you can just put that in a movie and it'll probably work. All right. Like you don't have to overthink this. You don't have to hold back on the goofy stuff. And that in a way, because this movie cannot really afford to be, to have any sort of cynical edge to it. It sort of brings that to light that it's going to work better. If you just do the thing that people yeah. like from the comic, <laughs> um, yeah, no. There, there is a. Oh, sorry, go ahead. That, that was just the end of my. I'm just very baffled by <laughs> the fact that this happened, and then I mean, I guess I don't know when this leaked. Uh, so maybe that's part of it. Yeah, that's a little unclear because I know it's been kind of you know people at, at Green Market and like booths at comic book conventions and sure. things like that. Like it's been floating around for decades. Yeah. Um, but I don't know when it like first like made the rounds of like oh the have you seen the fantastic four movie yeah yeah i um i don't want to get into reviewing my early thoughts on the 2005 one yet because that'll be next week but i will say this movie has a sort of like alacrity and a kind of joie de vivre for one of a of a phrase that i found really genuinely charming Mm -hmm. like there's an earnestness to this that i really liked that they're like we're 
we're going to do it. And, and maybe this is, you know, I know y'all have talked about like, why do the X-Men have the black suits in, in the, uh, some of the X-Men movies? And like, why are some superhero movies more hesitant to just yeah. like do the thing? I, I messaged y'all that the doom mask in this movie is proper cinema. Um, I love it. I love it. It's very, uh, it doesn't even look like it. No, it looks great. The, and he's in like a cloth. Like, I don't know. Part of this is budget, but I liked how like hard scrabble everything yeah. looked. And I liked that. I liked that it looked like that. I liked how it's not cheesy. Cause that's the wrong. I mean, it's cheesy, yeah. but, but that's the wrong connotation. But I, I liked that. It sometimes felt like, I don't know on golden pond or like how my, well, something my grandma would watch. Like it feels like this really eighties thing. And and I, or late eighties, early nineties thing. And I like that. I like that. It's so sincere and earnest and that every moment is punctuated by a big musical sting. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. And that they lean so much into the thing, having a love story and, uh, all of that. Like I, I thought it was, was all, I think the spirit of the movie is its best quality. Yes. I think maybe I was just looking at this on a more superficial level, um, but I just appreciated that the characters all looked like they just looked straight off the page. And, you know, yeah. going yeah. back to Doom's costume, like it's just the Dr. Doom costume. Yeah. Like, and, and cause comparing it, cause I know, you know, we know we're, we're, uh, future fantastic four movies go with a lot of the designs and stuff but like they've never gotten doom right nope. like for some reason they always feel the need to over design him and it's like no you can you can do it like this it's not trust me what you're trying to do is just as goofy as this <laughs> yeah like the the thing costume is it's a delightful piece of b-movie yes practical effects it's it doesn't look great, but that like it's it's fun. Uh, and it, again, it has the eyebrow. Some, yeah, it's got it's it. They really did try to go for the look. Um, they've got this like animatronic mouth on it, which is wild. Yeah, um, it kind of looks like the the lip movements in the Ninja Turtles live action yeah. movies from the early nineties. Yeah. I would say it's a little less sophisticated than that. Right. True. But it's that style. Yeah. That idea. Um, Britain, would you believe us if we told you they only built one? <laughs> <laughs> they literally had one thing costume because it costs so much yes uh and so like that that's one you know thing to set aside the doom costume give him like a slightly more um get, you know a higher uh higher budget level cloth i think get, yeah you know, sure. put put something that looks nicer and maybe like a darker green uh on that cloth you could stick that in a movie today like yeah, it it helps, of course, that it's all a little bit blurry on the yes, on the actual sure. recording. So like you get a you know you can't really see maybe some of the <clears throat> the stuff that might not work. But like the mask is is perfect. It's like yeah, just do that. <laughs> like that's that's great. Uh, I I love the the Fantastic Four costumes. I love just Sue just sewed them in an afternoon and here they are. They look really cheap and that's the charm. Like yeah. I, I really, really like that. How they're just like, yeah, you see how it, it, they, they're just blue jumpsuits with a four on them. That's what it is in the comic. I mean, good enough to get married in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I really liked how they just kind of went for it in that regard. And they're like, no, this is, this is the yeah. thing. This is what it looks like, you know? It's pretty neat. I, I was won over within the first like three minutes because the professor of 
Reed and Victor's class says something about, and remember, like, you know, check your data, stay safe, and make sure to have fun. <laughs> I was like, that's that's a good line. Yeah. Because I've been thinking about how some of the dialogue in the 2005 one all felt like very just boilerplate, Pat. Like, this is what movie dialogue is. Yeah. This is what we will say to accomplish the, like, there was nothing really unique or creative about it, at least in what I saw. And this, I was like, I haven't seen a lot of movies where a, an old man tells a bunch of uh, young, slightly younger men to just have fun in science <laughs> yeah. with science. Which is Great. is such a like professor thing, like that. That yeah. feels right for like a, a science professor like that who's like, and and none of the <clears throat> like it doesn't feel like Reed is like a teacher's pet. I mean, he he no. he gets the answer right when the professor asks him a question and everything, but it it's not like oh everybody's. I can think Ben makes fun of him, but not everyone in the classroom is like, "Oh no, not read answering another question." It's just like, "Oh yeah, we're yeah. all just like college kids," and like the prof- okay, the professor is telling us to have fun, and it's yeah. going completely over our heads because we don't really want to. This guy is silly, <laughs> like yeah. I don't know, like that. That feels very authentic to me. And there's also a part where Victor goes to either clap his hand on Reed's shoulder or shake his hand, and he takes about ten seconds. <laughs> To, to lower his hand on which it takes so long and it's hilarious <laughs> i think he later does a slow handshake i mean he he, he he repeats it a couple of times in the movie such that i was like was this a choice <laughs> is this an acting thing where he was like well because you know he moves so so slowly he becomes metallic <laughs> that's his emotional thing it was I, awesome i don't know if this applies to the pre-doctor doom side of his performance but uh the the actor joseph culp says that in, in the documentary again um the inspiration for a lot of his performance is like mussolini footage where he's just like very grandiose and throwing his hands okay. up in the air and he's just like making all these weird faces and, and and things like that's that's the energy he brought to it which makes sense because he's supposedly a dictator of a country and do tyler do they ever say in this movie that it's supposed to be latveria i think they do i think there there's a line and i really really love the latveria like i mean it's hard to make out because a lot of the dialogue in this movie is hard to make out yeah i'm pretty sure they do say latveria at one point um i really love that they translate latveria to transylvanians (laughs) That they're all they all just yeah. talk like Count Dracula. Yeah, <laughs> that's very good. But in, in all the future movies, they just shy away from Doctor yeah. Doom actually being like a tyrant and ruling over a country. Like they just slowly pull that out of his character with each yeah. movie, and it's like, Wait, no, that's the character. Is literally his character. No, he's a hacker named Victor Domashev. <laughs> Until uh, test screenings don't go well and we have to add in uh, ADR going, Victor Von Doom. Yeah. We'll get there. Um, Fan four stick, everybody. It's going to be fun. (laughs) It's going to be great. Um, I I really like that whole opening. I think that the entire way they present Reed and uh, Victor dealing with trying to get the power from the asteroid uh and then that blowing up in victor's face and then they it's not entirely clear i think what the deal is with like why victor's minions victor's later minions show up to take him away are they trying is the idea that they're like trying to 
take his genius for Latveria or maybe unnamed country. I, I thought the idea was that they were just trying to save him and just take him to his homeland. But the fact that, yeah, the fact that they, like, tell Reed that he's dead. like Yeah, I don't know. Sneak him away. I don't know. They, they knew uh, he was going to become a supervillain. Apparently. They're like, oh, this is this is the origin story. He got lightning to his face. This is, okay. Yeah. yeah. We, we uh, all get it. <laughs> we've all been there. <laughs> I did like that because at first I didn't realize those were his Latvarians. And I was just like, okay, so the creepiest doctor in the world is just like, we have to take him to the basement. Goodbye. <laughs> there was another science guy later who was also really creepy. And I was like, is this just a world building thing? <laughs> Where every medical professional is a big old weirdo. If they uh, if they are Latvarian or they work yeah. for Latveria, apparently. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of creepy stuff, I want to talk about uh, how the introduction of Sue yes. and Johnny. Yeah. So they live in a boarding house, but their mom is in charge of it, and I, yeah, they never explain how. But Reed and Ben are their friends. It's very old style. Like yeah, they have kid friends. They just. Do I guess. have them. So they do this whole bit where they go to see the, they go to visit him, and Sue is all nervous around Reed, and Ben is playing video games with Johnny, and Johnny loses, and uh, he's like, oh man, and then he leaves, and Ben keeps playing, and he loses and goes, ah oh, man, he's all upset. Yeah. It's very funny. And so it's very clearly established that, like, and, and I'm sure that Reed is supposed to be younger. Than he looks because he's supposed to be in college. I guess this that's is, the idea is yeah. that these are college students and and like preteens, but it reads as a thirty year old and a thirteen year old. Yeah. Um, and so then in the flash forward, when Reed is now old enough to have the the gray temple, yeah, thing in his hair, uh, Susan is now twenty five, and it's like now this is weird because you knew her when she was a baby. This <laughs> like is a what teenager. this is what I want to unpack here because there are several there are several layers to it. Um, I guess the implication is that Ben and Reed maybe grew up at the boarding house because I don't think they were to see yeah. their families. So maybe that. And then and she, the, the Storm's mother knows all of them pretty well and like calls them the Fantastic Four. So I feel like maybe that's the implication. But either way, yeah, the actor for Reed is the same in the flashback and the flash forward. Right. In the flashback, he's too old to be a college student by just a little bit. Yeah. yeah, and in the flash forward, because they give him the gray, he looks a lot older than he really should be. When, but also the rest of him looks too young. To exactly, like it doesn't really, it doesn't really all like sync up. But then Sue is played by someone who, like, maybe my my assumption was that she was supposed to be like high school, like young high school, something like that. Like that's that's my my charitable read. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she looks very young, and Johnny looks like yeah. five. Ten. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and they're then... supposed to be twins, right? Are they? No, no. I don't just think that, they say it, that. For some reason, that's stuck in my head. Just like generally with Fantastic Four uh-huh. lore, are, are they Johnny's? Johnny's her younger brother, usually. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, I don't so know. For some fine. reason, that was in my head. Okay. Maybe it's one of the other ones. We'll find out. I don't know. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i know they're not twins in fan stick <laughs> yeah that's true i don't know uh, also fan stick has weird plot points about ages and it's yes 
but it's strange. <laughs> my what I was getting at with this is that so Sue is played by someone who looks super young in that one, in the in the flashback, and then in the flash forward is played by someone who again looks like she would probably be the right age, yeah. gener- like a little bit younger than Reed, except they make her her look younger, kind of with the makeup and hair and everything. So then you end up with like it still feels like there's a really uncomfortable age difference, even though now they're yeah. played by actors who probably it does make sense for. So it's like, that was right. very intentional, I guess to feel that way in both Maybe. time periods. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> it's, it's a little weird. Yeah. It's, it's definitely icky. Which um, I mean, yeah. Reed and Sue, uh, have a, uh, very like sixties romance in the sixties comics where Reed's, definitely misogynistic sometimes and like it's just generally a jerk to her uh i think that actually like the actor for reed is doing a really good job of bringing that mood across and making him feel like somebody who's like so stoic and aloof and like doesn't actually like engage with people and is kind of a jerk uh the they they have a scene where he's realizing that they're all repressing their powers or repressing their emotions and creating their powers through that or whatever the revelation is. Uh, and he starts that scene by ignoring Sue, trying to tell him that she loves him. Uh, yeah. That's very Reed Richards. That's good. I like that. And he plays it well. But yeah, it's, it's an odd, an odd thing to yeah. do. Exactly. <laughs> and I, so obviously I like better the love story between Ben and uh, what's her name? Alicia Masters. Matt. Alicia Masters, um, because the beat the, the beat of that love story is he bumps into a blind lady yep. and makes her drop her statue. They kind of bicker a little bit. She doesn't know his name. Everyone thinks he dies and she's going to make a memorial statue to him. She gets kidnapped by a guy that looks like Freddy Krueger playing the leprechaun in the leprechaun movies. Uh-huh. He saves her. She's in love with him. Yeah. But I love it. <laughs> <laughs> It's fantastic. And they totally do the, like, you have a kind face thing. Yep. <laughs> it's great. Is Alicia Masters in the uh, Tim Story movies? Yes. Yep. She is played by Carrie Washington. Oh, interesting. And she's easily one of the best parts of the movie. Both I movies. I believe that. Shocker. Yeah. Shocker. Carrie Washington is the best part of the Fantastic Four movie. I don't know. I did see a ski, a snowboarding scene set to a very... Uh, pop punk early aughts tune I'm, I'm, that had nothing to do with the scene at all. Look, don't get me started on some forty one Britain. Don't you we, do it, Brit, Britain, Britain? We already we already reviewed the James Bond movies. We're past that. <laughs> ah, that would be great if, if if the new James Bond movie was just Aaron Taylor Johnson running through a hideout and it was like, "Tell me what you want from me." That'd be great. Just kidding. I wouldn't see it. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't until I dragged you to the theater. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd have to for the podcast. If so. I'm no, being, if no. I'm being dragged to M3, again, <laughs> um, it's okay. It's PG-13. It won't scare me too much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, because now you you can't see what's really happening. It's All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That maybe your imagination. Oh, never mind, boys. I don't think I can do this one. <laughs> It's all going to be in your one imaginate one on. <laughs> uh, other things about the Fantastic Four. Uh, 
um uh, with with alicia um of course it is super rushed and there's not a whole yes. lot there and it is one of the like i was genuinely <laughs> expecting like you know it's entirely possible that she could go i am good woman you are good man like sure. that, that that set of dialogue would not be unwelcome in this movie the, the thing that confused me is the scene where she gets kidnapped by the jeweler's goons right because it goes on for like half an hour of them just like the, circling <clears throat> around her and she she realizes that somebody is there who has um evil intentions um but they just kind of like are like throwing their hands in the air around her like it, it it's almost like what you think of when it's like like spooky like they throw up spooky hands and then like half an hour later they're like all right let's gas her and grab her and take her to the (laughs) the bad guy like it's i don't know it felt like something out of power rangers but at the same time i feel like power rangers they're like no we gotta get we gotta keep this episode moving we only got like 20 minutes keep it moving (laughs) or it felt like in theater where you're like we're gonna do interpretive dance to explain that they're beating somebody up or something (laughs) right yeah it, it was it was weird. It was great. It, it, a lot of this, <laughs> yeah. I was just gonna say, it feels like something where they got a lot of footage of that, and the original idea was that they were gonna cut it very quickly. Of like, oh, they're all going to grab her. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then they just left it all in. <laughs> I do like all the stuff with the jeweler. To me, really felt like a Batman Returns, Batman Forever kind of deal, where you're like, we've just got this like these crazy villains with their own motivation kind of separate from everything else. And they have a big hideout. And now the city looks like it was designed by like ancient Romans. Like that's what I, <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah. Um, there was an interesting angle that I wish the movie kind of kept with. And this is something that I don't know if I've seen in that many superhero movies, like none immediately come to mind. And that's, you have your your set of heroes or your single hero in a lot of solo, you know, superhero films, whatever. But then you have two competing bad guys who are kind of fighting each other right. for, in this case, a MacGuffin of sorts. Um, and Tyler, it's kind of what you've talked about where, you know, you talk about aliens or whatever movie it might be where you've got all these dueling factions that are fighting over a thing. Um, and I think that's really interesting given this premise of like everyone's trying to fight to get this diamond thing that somehow helps with the the, the asteroid or whatever. Um, but then it just kind of ends because Dr. Doom's like, hey, jeweler, I'm going to kidnap Alicia instead to leave. And he's like, all right, bye. Yeah, Dr. Doom shows up uh, and he the the bullets that they try to shoot at him start ricocheting and killing their own men. And then they just fun. keep firing at him for another 30 minutes. Yeah, that's yeah. great. <laughs> Until I think literally everyone dies. <laughs> and then he pulls out a special Dr. Doom branded pistol. Because yes. <laughs> they were going to sell action figures. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I. Oh, yeah. I'll give this to my tar doll. It'll be great. <laughs> it, it almost feels like the jeweler is going to show up at some point in the third act and have like a part to yeah. play there. And he's just gone from the movie. Yeah. And I found that kind of disappointing. I was like, you know, the, uh, I, I was thinking more like 60s Batman. Um, in terms of just how crazy and out of left field he was. Um, but like, I don't know. It was fun. It was neat. And I kind of liked him and Dr. Doom, like Dr. Doom's goons walking and they're like, Hey, we want the diamond. And he's like, I'm not making deals with anyone. 
And then they keep talking and he's like, no, I'm still not making deals with anyone. Now leave or we'll shoot you. I like that. And uh, then they laugh them out of the room. I like that a lot of Dr. Doom's goons have like just Dr. Doom's suit because obviously his thing is is Doom bots uh, or one of his things is Doom bots. And I'm glad the movie did to try to like sell that as an idea. Or like insert like oh he's got a bunch of robots and like figure out how to do effects for that and think it was just kind of like yeah his minions look like they dress up like doom that's that's all we have to do i think yeah. that's a good homage without having to deal with figuring out the logistics of something more complicated yeah i liked uh, speaking of figuring out logistics i liked the big fight scene because you just had all these different shots of the various four fighting two bad guys at a time um, and a lot of it was like the thing sort of bum rushing them and you would get a shot yes. of him and a shot of the bad guys going, ah, yeah. but I loved every time Fanta- Mr. Fantastic would stretch out his hand and you would get like the camera was like on his wrist <laughs> and it was just like pop and just like tapping the bad guys and they would go, whoa, yes, and just flip out of frame. It was awesome. The, twice, uh, Invisible Woman does a like disappear uh, immediately as the two guys are trying to punch yes. and i guess do like a somersault or like a tuck and roll real quick so that they yeah. they shoot each other and knock each other out well it's amazing because the, the one that i remember is it, it it really does look like you can tell they went and action because she's just standing there awkwardly with and and the two guys are facing her she disappears and then immediately they start firing and there's about 40 45 seconds of the two of them just getting riddled with each other's bullets <laughs> and then when she becomes visible again, she's crouching, <laughs> and she stands back up, and it's like I love that they thought about it. Yeah. That they were like, "Well, she didn't become, uh, uh, it, she didn't just dis- literally disappear. Right. She's just, you just can't see her." So she was like, instead of getting out of the way, I'll just kind of hunker the- down here for a minute. Yes, it's great. The thing that confused me is that she does finally use her energy shield <laughs> yes. at the end with no explanation. Yeah. <laughs> like they I never talk about it. <laughs> Just like, yep, she can do that too. <laughs> There's a kind of beautiful shot of one of the times Johnny flames on, and it's like from behind and a little down, so you see the back of his head, and he's like firing this like beam of fire up in the in the sky, and it's just black. Yeah, but it's like the effect is really pretty, and like the sh- the angle is really cool. Um, I thought it was kind of a beautiful shot, and I was like, I'd have that as my Windows ninety five yeah. uh, wallpaper. Um, look, it's a it's a tie between that and him flying to chase the laser beam down. That's I loved the way that it was awesome. I actually thought money that... for nothing and your chicks for free. <laughs> <laughs> that that actually didn't look nearly as bad as I thought it would. No, not because you're watching well, the movie and you're like, okay, I know the Fantastic Four. Is he going to fly? I I <laughs> I think I could see you know like if if this had been released in theaters and that was where it stood and you watched it you'd probably be like oh my Uh, (laughs) but i think watching it now knowing that this is a 30 year old super budget effect and i think it helps that they can't really overthink it again like a lot of the movie i think is, is kind of my my takeaway here when you're when you're so strapped for for time and budget and money and like what you're actually able to accomplish like you can't really overthink it and make it look even worse it's just like this is it. <laughs> this guy it looks like he's you know in like a, um, I don't know like a, a guy you make in a tutorial in like an animation or maybe like a, 
a previs animation sure. kind of thing uh and and we're just going with it <laughs> like that's that's what yeah. it looks like like yeah you can only the the worst part of it is definitely when he gets in front of the laser and, and flips around like yeah. four times starts uh, ragdolling around yes a bit. yeah it's a little it's it's quite silly at that point but yeah it was awesome <laughs> <laughs> i cried four times <laughs> uh, well i think because the uh because the the practical effects are uh, they kind of set you up for the digital effects they kind of get sure. you in the right headspace for what those should look like but i found all of it charming as heck like yeah. i really liked whether they were more impressive than i thought or bad i liked them <laughs> i was like i want to i like when i see stuff like this in movies because i, do, I don't want everything to just be like oh it's a lazy green screen like no i like that it's creatively bad yeah. <laughs> like i see what you're trying to do with it and i don't know i think it's delightful well also even if it's not great it still helps that there is something actually there like yes i i i mean maybe with dr strange and the um john krasinski fantastic or mr fantastic brief as yeah. that cameo is and him using his stretchy powers that's probably the best that it's ever looked but i yeah. i i don't think with any of the movies that we'll be doing that that effect never looks good with cg yeah. like they just sure. aren't able to figure it out um so the fact that they just have kind of like a practical like stretching arm and whatever yeah. and yeah. The hand waving from the top of the <laughs> oh, car really at the end of the movie is amazing. glorious. Iconic. You want to talk about a Windows 95 wallpaper? <laughs> that like when when uh Alex found a gif of Evil Dies Tonight from Halloween ends. <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt well during Glass Onion when Daniel Craig said this is just dumb. But I want that arm waving and that's the last shot of the movie. It is. It's amazing. And the music kicks in, man. The music really does. does not it's hesitate. So good. See, the best, so good. The music the best part has is your back. They, they could have <laughs> saved themselves a bit because there's a, a wide shot where you see the car like driving out of frame and you can briefly see the arm waving. Yeah. And it's it's like, okay, we can end on like, oh, everyone's watching them drive away. But then it sticks, it cuts to, <laughs> it's a close up on the car and that hand just keeps going. There's a, there's a very good a very good piece of the documentary where the actor who plays Doom uh says he was like I guess he was there just like on set maybe or something uh or maybe I don't I don't know. I guess they took the whole crew outside or whatever wherever they filmed that. Um and he says he he was watching that effect. He was like, "Huh." That's <laughs> interesting because like none of them really grasped like exactly what kind of budget and movie they were dealing with throughout. Like they were kind of figuring out as they went along. He was like, "I was concerned" or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because so often they just kind of cut around him being stretchy. They give you, which I kind yeah. of liked that editing. Like it's kind of impressive for what they were yeah. trying to do. Yeah. They were like. We're going to give you just enough so that you know what he's doing, but not enough to where we have to actually figure out how to do it. <laughs> like, I thought it all worked pretty well until you get to that bit and you're like, no, do it. Just lean in. Send me home smiling. Yes. <laughs> uh, there is also a guy, a, a goon who looks like, what is the Are We the Baddies movie? What, the, the meet, where that meme comes from. The, the guy the you know what i'm talking about the guy who's like a police officer man and he's like are we the baddies um 
Prince. Oh, that's I think it Prince looks Cup. like a Mitchell and Webb sketch. Is it really for the Nazis? Okay. For some reason, like. I thought it was like a parody movie or something. Okay. Well, either way, uh, there's a guy Saving who looks like Private that. Ryan. It was probably Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a guy who looks like that who sells the crap out of um, Sue Storm punching him while invisible. Yes. Uh, he just like gets socked uh, by nobody and hurls himself to the ground in a <laughs> beautiful, beautiful way. Uh, and I applaud him. Uh, I, I just want to remark on their, their spacesuits, which are just glorious. They're yes. just like oh, yeah. aluminum foil. <laughs> and they've just got just these nondescript backpacks. Yes. And I put them in quotes because it's not like there's zippers or anything. There's, it doesn't look like anything can actually fit in them. It's just... It's fine. It's just aluminum foil. Like, I, I there was such a lovely, lovely charm to it all. Yeah, I was like, they've got I also, helmets, I guess. I also love how they never bother to explain why Johnny and Sue were going with them in terms of their capabilities. Right. It's just like we got the, like Ben does a joke where he's like, "Hey, Mrs. Storm, can Johnny and Sue come to space with us?" But then they. They never. They, all their, the only reason they go, it's apparently, is Ben's like, "Hey, you know those kids will never forgive you if you don't take them to space." And their mom's like, "Okay, <laughs> go to space." There is and actually there's no sense of like, "Oh, well, they're engineering students or whatever." There is actually some sort of explanation, and the idea is that they, I, I guess, Reed and Ben have just told them everything about this project, but Ben has a line of like. They know more about this project than anyone aside from the two of us. So they are the best yeah. next candidates yeah. to go. That's, that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I also, but then it, uh, this leads to something I'm sure Tyler wants to talk about where they're leaving and Mama Storm goes, look at you, the Fantastic Four. It's very good. Um, <laughs> they, they say, they say a Fantastic Four there, then... Uh, Sue, when she makes the costumes, is like, we're the Fantastic Four after all, and that's yeah. her explanation. And then they they say, we're the Fantastic Four at some point before they go into the third act, the big yeah. fight with Doom. Um, oh yeah, they do the hands in thing. Yeah, they might say it one more time. Not one hundred percent sure, but uh, I do want to start keeping track of how many times Fantastic Four, the the team name, is actually said in the movie because I think. Uh, it will directly correlate to the quality of the movie uh, and the understanding of the source material. Uh, so we're just, you know, put a pin in that. I'm Mark. I'm setting this at three. Uh, well, I, I can guarantee you one of them has zero. That is informing my conjecture here. Um, <laughs> one of them has zero and it thinks it's smart. Yeah, and that's exactly, like, that's my actual point. Like, it's very cheesy. Again, the music is just like, oh, yes, it is. It, it is our moment. Um, it, it is a B movie. Yes. It is a, a B movie that is like Roger Corman. You see that name, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. But, again, I, I think that they're, like, that's a thing you could play in a, I don't know. I don't even know if he could play it in a more straight fashion at this point because <clears throat> that, like, the naming of every 
every possible way to drop a superhero name or reference has been done at this point in a movie at some point by some studio trying to get in on the superhero business. Uh, some I think the MCU has covered most of them, but like they've they've had a million different approaches to like you know how kind of embarrassed they are to say what the name is and, or do the costume a certain way or all all that stuff. Like it, it's such a like we don't know where the line is and we're we're too afraid to cross it. Like that's that's been the philosophy for so long. Again, going back to the X Men movies and all those like early two thousand things that wouldn't really do it. Again, we'll talk about it in the next couple of movies, but like having the the sort of like genuinely i mean i don't think this movie and the people making and writing this movie cared whether or not it came across as cheesy because that's kind of movie like they know what kind of movie they're making but it is like having the uh the bravery to just be like yeah i'm just gonna like reference a thing and we're gonna be very like sincere uh it just is a movie that has absolutely no room to be anything other than authentic and show you love for the source material. Yeah. You know, regardless of how that's going to be received or whether or not, you know, audiences today like could deal with something like that. Like, I don't know. I, I really appreciate that being the approach. I'm just like, yeah, we're just doing it. Somebody gave us a, like, the fact that I think the movie had so little sort of supervision and was such an afterthought for so many of, like, the bankrollers that, like, nobody was really paying attention to what they were doing almost gave them a, a creative blank check to be like, well, let's just do the comics. And it's it's really nice to see. And it, it does frustrate me that it's like, why does no one else try this when they have the budget for it? Like, stop second guessing every single thing i mean i think and we'll uh talk about this when we get to black panther 2 to to go into forever but i think dmc is getting there i think they're finally like okay we're just gonna do the thing um like we we're not gonna overthink how we introduce this we're just gonna say the the names of the things that we're taking from the comics and we're gonna show you the things from the comics we're not gonna do silly uh sort of half measures and like create characters that are like maybe this is this character but maybe it's not because we're too afraid to do the real character maybe we want to do the real character better later i don't but know tyler i don't think you understood guy pierce was the mandarin right like that's that's exactly the kind of, kind of thing i'm thinking of um because he said so he uh, guy he pierce wouldn't so. lie to you well <laughs> uh the the MCU definitely, I think, went through those going pains and I think has come out the other side and is now finally committing to this, but it's still everywhere in superhero movies you see. I, I have faith that uh, James Gunn, the man who brought us the Guardians films, uh, will also be like, yeah, I'm just going to introduce these characters and say, deal with it. Um, when he did Starro. There right. is no excuse he just did now. Yeah, so I, I have faith now that maybe DC's on the right track, but it has taken so long to get to the point where we can just say, like, yeah, we're just introducing this character. What's the problem? It's fine. Um, and that is something that I think really is special about this, is that I've never seen a movie that was so sort of... It had no room to think about whether or not the right idea was just to directly adapt something without cynicism or like 
worrying about if people aren't gonna like seeing the thing from the comic when it's translated to t- the screen like and maybe they wouldn't have like maybe if this was released it would have been a massive bomb and everyone would have been like i mean it, it can only be so much of a bomb with the budget it has but like maybe it would have been the, the type of thing where it got totally derided by critics and you know it's totally trash and everyone hated it um i'm not discounting that and i think as a movie overall there's a lot of problems as comes with B movies, but it is something that's really, really interesting to see as a comic book fan. Who's got fantastic four books on my shelf behind me here. Like it's, it's a cool thing. It really is a cool thing to see like fans of the comic, just do the movie and have enough of the budget to do something approaching what the comics should look like and not, you know, hold back because some studio executive was telling them like, well, the focus groups don't know who Galactus is, so you can't do Galactus. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. It's it's really interesting. Do they explain the fantastic car in this movie? Because it gets used to to take them to Doom's castle in the third act, which yeah. I love that they just gave Doom a castle. That was awesome. Um, yeah, but. The, I, I was kind of waiting for like some sort of reveal, but no, we just gonna see a shot of it <laughs> flying off, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know the Fantastic Car was in this. <laughs> it's kind of like the Baxter Building. It's just like, yeah, it's a Baxter Building, which gets a Fantastic Four logo on it. It has four fours, and I don't know if that's supposed to be like their their thinking behind the scenes was that like, oh, well, it's 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 uh. 4444 Baxter Street or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know that's the implication. Uh, but it's, but I, I can't remember if at the beginning, like when we first see that building, if we might get like a wide shot of it. And I don't know if it has the logo on there. Like, I want to say, true. like, in between them getting their powers and the third act, they install that. I don't know. Yeah, a little it's very odd. This also all happens in one shot that I think the documentary implies was done by a secondary VFX person after they like yeah. gave up on the first VFX person. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that was all just them them using some creative license. But hey, I thought it was a pretty neat looking shot <laughs> considering the budget. Uh, the movie does I think I mean especially when you watch the documentary and see that they are dealing with a single like s- studio shed uh that they were filming all of this in. I, I think it does a good job of feeling more expansive than that. They, they sneak in a couple of shots like that. They have the shot of the thing wandering around uh, a city at night. And like, th- there's just enough to give you a sense that there's a larger world than what you're seeing. So. Fair enough. Just, apparently that was all like guerrilla filmmaking and it is kind of the latter days of production. They're like, Oh crap, we need to have, the thing running around for a little bit and it's not even the actor who normally was in the costume um it was just like one of the producers or the writer or somebody um and there's this the bit where he walks up to just two random girls and they're like oh my god rock monster and then they run away and then he doesn't say anything but he does emotions like a oh no and he just kind of leans <laughs> forward and then leans back and I was like, oh, this is... I think it goes slow motion, too. It was... Yes, it, it was perfect. <laughs> no notes. Agreed. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Uh, apparently, Avi Arad might be the cause for why this this 
doesn't exist in an official capacity. The story is that apparently he bought up all the film prints and then destroyed them. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But it also the the way the documentary presents the story behind it is that is not that it was like made to protect the rights, but that the rights were actually bought after the fact to make a bigger budget movie uh, or so- something along those lines where like it, the situation changed after the movie was created and somebody didn't want that being associated with something else they were going to do. And then of course that never materialized anyway, which is yeah a real shame that like you didn't even do anything with it. Well, the best part is uh, apparently one of the, uh, because I think Fox was involved at this point, and that's where Avi Arad comes in because yeah. he was working on a lot of the uh, the animated series in the 90s with Fox and stuff. Um, but apparently Chris Columbus was a big Fantastic Four fan, and like Fox was trying to be like, hey, you want to do Fantastic Four for us? So that's when they kind of got involved with a lot of the meddling. I'm just like, the writer of Christmas with the Cranks was going to do Fantastic Four? That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it would have turned out really well. Did it? <laughs> was the Santa Claus December of 94? Are you trying to say that Tim Allen should have been Mr. Fantastic? No. I'm saying... No, should have been the Human Torch. <laughs> Tim Allen should have been Doctor Doom. I've always said that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he plays a robot, robotic, evil, true. Guy, you know, kind of dictator in in the Santa Claus three, probably two. Christmas with the Cranks. I don't know. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, no, I'm saying, what what if in that world we don't get the Santa Claus franchise? Think of how how much sadder yeah, Alex uh, a world we'd be living in right now if if Chris Chris Columbus had been uh, attached to that. I don't think Chris Columbus made the Santa Claus movies. Did he not make the first one? I don't think so. I <laughs> like that I've now created like an even weirder like segue yeah. out of that. I was, I was Who made confused. the first one? No, that's why I was like, it's Tim Allen, your fan cast now. I didn't know where that was going. Who made the Santa Claus? Somebody. Am I crazy? I, I feel like, no, I don't think you're crazy. That sounds accurate. We're going to halt the podcast to figure out what's unbelievable. The director was John Pasquin. All right. Huh. I mean, I I don't know what I'm thinking of. Like, I guess maybe I'm thinking of Home Alone there. I think he was involved. Are you thinking of Harry Potter? No, I mean, Harry Potter is. Are you thinking of Rent? Yeah, I think I'm thinking of Rent. (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) 525,600 pebbles. How do you measure? I think I've just been operating under, under the assumption that uh, at least the first one was Columbus all this time. In granite, in shale, in I don't know the rock stuff. In lots of geology. Wait, how did we get here? Rent, and then I'm doing seasons of love, but it's about the thing. Okay, okay, all right. Yeah, back on board. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cover you is uh, Mr. Fantastic stretching himself out to be a tent. It's a whole, right. it's a whole thing. Right. There's a lot of ways you can do this. I uh, Just to, to put a button on all this, I do believe Chris Columbus has a producing credit or executive producing credit on at least the 2005 one. So huh. Huh. it all connects. Okay. And we look, I, I'm just saying we can blame this all on Christmas with the cranks. It's look, 
Christmas with the Cranks, it really, it, it died for our sins. That, that's, that's, that's like event zero of modern movies. Right. That's, that's the, uh, the sort of nexus point. There's a before Christmas with the Cranks and there's an after. Exactly. We are living t- currently BCK. in. BCK. Yeah, in BCK. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, Avi Arad, uh, release, if you have anything left from this movie, which you claim to not have, but please release it and sell it on a DVD with Morbius. We, that is, uh, we I'll know you're it. listening. I'll buy it with make, Morbius. I don't care. <laughs> and make sure they're interactive menus. We know yes. you're one of our, uh, 30 listeners along with yeah. Kevin Feige and, uh, D&D. Tim Allen and David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. Golden Globe nominee Jane Levy, <laughs> but I just see, uh, it. It really, it really upsets me that if he did actually destroy this, and given some of the movies that he's produced, because this is like it, it's a cheap B movie, granted, but there's a lot more entertainment value in this than a number of the films that he has his name on. I mean, I, I definitely don't think the destruction was a oh wow this is so bad. I, I assume that. He- what what maybe is more frustrating is that I would have to assume that he would never have even attempted to watch it. Uh, I would I would think that would probably be a thing of like, oh, get rid of this. We don't need this diluting the Fantastic Four brand, I guess. Because uh, then they, you know, it, it was so well protected once. <laughs> once it went over to five. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very upsetting. But seriously, I mean, this this is something they talk about in the documentary at the end. Like, if there were some official release, like, you could sell it in a multi-pack with, like, other DVDs or just have it as a bonus feature or something, but, like, have a slightly upgraded version from what is available on YouTube. And You're telling me I can get this and Merlin's Shop of Mystical Wonders for only $5? (laughs) Are you telling me I can get this as a part of the Santa Claus Trilogy box set? (laughs) Whoa, the Fantastic Four and Hobgoblins? (laughs) But the the actor who plays Doom, Joseph Culp, says in the documentary, he's like, yeah, I'll jump in and do ADR to to help with the the sound design for Doom's voice. Like, I would do that in a heartbeat. Like, just give me a call. I'm like, the people that made the movie still care about the movie. Like, even after 30 years, maybe let him do it. Like... (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's just really upsetting. And it's like, I, I I mean, it's a little silly for this to be, you know, the hill to die on for this sort of thing. But it's like, you can tell that the people who made the movie were genuinely like happy to be there and wanted to make it the best yeah. possible thing. And it doesn't, and, and Tyler, to your point, it doesn't feel like the people making it at least were making it for cynical reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and, and you wonder like the, I don't. I mean, the rights have always been super complicated. I wonder how difficult it would be for like the MCU to uh, the Marvel Studios, I guess, more specifically, to put that together and be like, "Here's a bonus feature on Fantastic Four whenever the Fantastic Four movie comes out on on Blu-ray in 2025 or whatever." Like, you know, you you'd feel like that would be something they could do, and I would like to see it. I would imagine that they have like if they have access to the work prints, they can, they can legally do whatever they want with it at this right. point. 
Like all the Fantastic Four movies are on Disney Plus because they they are under yeah. the Fox umbrella. I would imagine that they could do it. I, but you never know. Yeah. Do it for the twentieth anniversary. Look, give the Twi- give no thirtieth anniversary. Look, do, give do Avi Arad. We'll, we'll give him this deal. Hear me out here. He okay. he can make Morbius two. Okay. If he gives us the film print for the Fantastic Four. Yeah. That's the only way. <laughs> My skyscraper uh, has frozen for only maybe only for me, because neither of you are reacting to this. You're, uh, you you are frozen okay. and you look, in a very uh, strange position. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like it. Continue. It's weird, that, it's weird that you can see it on your end, because normally yeah. it's like you know, it's just me and Britain that can see it. I don't know. Weird. Um yeah, so I we can get into grade shortly, but I would definitely, like I said, I would recommend the documentary. I think it lends a lot of insight into the choices made and what happened, and just just hearing the cast talk about it and just sure. hearing their enthusiasm for it, and you know, particularly, I think Alex Hyde White is probably my favorite of all the performers as Reed. Like, I haven't read many Fantastic Four comics, but he just seems so, like, picture-perfect Reed Richards to me. Um, And he really, I think, does a good job of carrying every single scene that he's in. Um, No, I I agree. I also like him. And And, and I thought Ben was good. Ben Grimm, I thought he was very likable. Um, But yeah, this, this is available on YouTube, so track it down if you're mildly interested. It, it is only 90 minutes, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um and I actually think this probably could have been a little bit longer uh mostly because there is little to no character development. <laughs> right. It's mostly just Sue and Reed get married and then Yeah, but they arrive fully formed on the screen uh, though. Uh, really? Just, aren't they just <laughs> um, and then Alicia falls in love with with Ben in dubious circumstances right (laughs) but i i feel like there's little to no character development or anything like that and i get it it's a it's a b movie it's just like origin of the fantastic four it's this this to me feels like if i had seen this when i was like six or seven years old i would have really really liked this i had the same thought i had the same thought like i i think on a kid level this works quite a bit it's just like a very simple straightforward fantastic four movie um, so that'll be interesting kind of getting into the other films cause yeah. they do try and add on more complexity and character development, um, mixed in with the cynical cash grab side of things. Right. So it'll be interesting to kind of re reassess those and see which side kind of wins out. Um, and I, at least I, for I, the first Tim story one, we'll see. Right. I do also think that again, going back to like, they can only work they can only accomplish so much so they they kept it very simple like i feel like that helps this out quite a bit above a lot of other b movies where there's not a lot that's like oh this is really boring and nothing interesting is happening um one scene one thing we didn't talk about one scene i just remember that might might be one of my favorites in the movie is uh the doctor interrogating each of them and trying to figure out how to draw blood from each of them uh and he keeps being like oh you know like i'm gonna need to, to draw blood and i don't really know how from the thing and the thing yeah. just kind of like gla- glares at him uh and like he goes he goes through each one 
kind of addressing the new powers, doing kind of a silly riff on, you know, how difficult it is to uh, draw blood. <laughs> then it, I think the, the best part is the stinger ends with it's him and Reed and he's like, uh, well, I need to get your blood, but I, I've had such trouble with the others that I'm not sure that I uh, should, or maybe I should just ask you to do it yourself. And Reed's like, okay. And then he stretches his hand all the way across the room and grabs yeah. it from him. Uh, it's it's very good. I, I think that is actually like a genuinely great little beat. And I specifically am thinking of a scene or a kind of longer series of scenes, I think, in the first or in the 2005 one that I'm curious to see, which I feel is more effective at kind of like starting to establish these these characters and like being a, a nice, pithy, concise way of demonstrating exactly what all their powers are and having somebody interact with them in real time and be like oh this is terrifying <laughs> like i think that but in kind of a goofy way <laughs> like i think that is that captures that tone really well um i liked too that the movie would frequently use a spinning transition they would just like <laughs> it'd be a shot of the thing's face and it would just spin it around and that's how you know he was beating somebody up yeah it was great um one thing i found on the rotten tomatoes page for, for the movie i was scrolling down the cast list and you know it starts getting into just kind of random yeah just yeah. production roles like film editing and, and whatnot the last one is a familiar picture uh a man by the name of gerard butler apparently did set decoration i oh, don't wow. know how accurate this is <laughs> but it's on there do you think somebody just added that to see if anyone would notice I noticed. <laughs> what would be great is if, like, when they tore down the set, someone was like, huh, tell you, this is our Mount Olympus, and now it's fallen. <laughs> and he went, wait, say that again. Some, somebody <laughs> asked him how, how many minutes he spent uh, decorating all of the sets, and he was like, 300. <laughs> well, I am playing for keeps. Um <laughs> I've got, well, well, I've got to go home and play Galaga. I'm sort of a gamer. <laughs> That's the next one I was thinking of, too. Let <laughs> me do some math here while we uh, move on to, well, actually, I guess one of the grades that we want to give for this is one thing. But Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of s s uh, stuck between a, a rock and a hard place of sorts. Um because there's like the the actual grade I want to give it, but this feels like the epitome of F plus. Sure. But at the same time, I feel like that undervalues the charm. That's exactly where I'm landing. I same, feel like same, same, same. For one, I think like it, it's genuinely got a solid foundation. I think yeah, there's a lot of things it does that are just like good, solid movie making, even if it is super, super budget. Uh, yeah, I think there's some some structurally sound uh, kind of components to it. So I I'm gonna go C plus. I'm gonna I'm gonna judge it on oh, real wow. merits, and I'm gonna say like you know I think it's I think it's like actually a, a solid watch. I I think I of course have like nostalgia bias for those those early comics that were you know came out when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> No, but you know having having read those as some of like the first comics i ever read um like that is something that, that sticks with me and i think i can really appreciate and probably like speaks to me more than it would speak to 
people who aren't as familiar with the comics, but I think it's a it's an actually like very solid adaptation. I think it's very charming. Uh and I think you can tell how much passion went into it. And for that reason I'm I'm saying I think it's, you know, worth worth a watch at least. Um I I feel like it is a fun time. I'll do C plus as well. I I, yeah. I completely agree. There are Chewing so many me. F. There is such F plus energy in this movie, and I think when people watch it, they will absolutely get the good bad yeah. enjoyment. But like, I don't know. There's an earnestness to it, and there's a love to it, and like you said, there's a charm to it, Alex. And I don't want to undermine that feeling. Like, oh, it's a movie you laugh at. Yeah, it is a movie you laugh at. But it's also, I think, something to it that kind of works, and and so yeah, I'm gonna uh, yeah, I want to give it like an actual grade. I want to take it a little more sincerely. I think I'm I'm gonna end up going lower. I think I'm gonna s- stick with a C minus for now, um, mostly because ultimately I still don't think this is a good movie. So I think it's oh sure yeah. But but, but there's like I said, there's a lot of charm to it. Obviously, the actors are giving it their all, and there's there's some some amusing elements to it. Um, and the score is great, even though they kind of just hammer it home like every oh, yeah. every thirty seconds. Um, but I, I feel like the, the the story just to me it, like there is a foundation there, but at the same time, it's way too bare bones. There's just not enough happening, um, and it feels just very basic. Like I'm trying to tell a child the story before they go to bed. Um, sure, I could have used a little bit more just any character development at all, and like I said, there's just certain plot elements like the jeweler versus Doctor Doom that could have been kind of expanded on a little bit yeah. more. Um, and, and things just kind of happen without any explanation. Like I said, with with uh, Sue using her shield and the fantastic car and like there's just there's just random things that kind of happen in the movie. Um, it does make me wonder, like. So I would imagine that this is the kind of thing where it's like, we don't really cut much from this type of movie. We kind of know exactly what we're shooting every day. Like we have to run and gun and get this thing finished. Um, but it would be interesting to go back to the original draft and, and see if there was more that just had to be cut down to fit the budget and the schedule. I'd be curious about that. But um, yeah, it's charming. I, I definitely, like I said, I would recommend the doomed documentary um, before approaching yeah, like, this yeah. just because it's a very weird case um and i think by looking at that documentary you can kind of gauge whether or not you want to give this a shot sure alex took a look at this movie and said this story needs a little more tim moving on to recommendations <laughs> oh. <laughs> no um, uh I, <clears throat> over the next couple of weeks oh oh what what is that a d plus for fantastic four and a d minus for rise of the silver surfer Whoa. Tyler, did you I, have math? I did want to say that uh, I believe Gerard Butler would have been 24 at the time of okay. the filming of this. Um, That's prime set decorating. So age. I am pulling up his Wikipedia career page, and it says that when he graduated from college, he took a position as a trainee lawyer at an Edinburgh law firm. However, he continued to stay out late drinking and frequently miss work. One week before he qualified as a lawyer, he was fired. Um, And then it says at the age of 25 and an unqualified lawyer, he moved to London to pursue his dream of becoming famous. So I guess he headed over for a trip before he finished. Wait. Wait, hold on. 
I was I was doing a gag here. However, I just pulled up the previous section because I realized that starts with upon graduation. And this says before his final year of law school, law school, Butler took a year off to live in California, mostly in Venice Beach, where he held different jobs and traveled often. Did he it's actually there. just like pop in? It's there. It's right there. I can't find like any evidence of this actually being a thing other than IMDb and uh, Rotten Tomatoes say it. I really thought I was going into a into a joke there. <laughs> Hold the phone. But like who would where Who would add that? What why would someone add that if it's not true? And like why does that work out timing wise? I'm very confused all of a sudden. I like to imagine Jared. like somebody did like a real deep dive and was just like i'm looking at gerard butler's history <laughs> they and, looked like, at the documentary and like scrubbed the, the yeah, behind yeah. scenes footage like constantly and they're just jerry like, come on the podcast talk to us about it i don't want to know about your movies i want to know about this <laughs> tell us about what it was like to to put that book in in sue's room or whatever <laughs> just just to be near Olay, just to just to be a fly on the wall uh, I will say in the documentary, they basically get everyone aside from like Abi Arad to, yeah, sure. to, to come in and, and talk. Drive like, and Stanley. Like they have the director, they have the editor, they have the screenwriter, they have all of the actors. Like it's, it's yeah. very impressive that they were able to get everyone. It's real neat. Yeah. James Patterson is there for some reason. Yeah. It's, it's wild. It's the character Jason Bourne was also interviewed. <laughs> um yeah yeah i guess the the documentary does bring up stanley briefly because apparently he visited the set and was very nice to everyone but then at a convention afterwards he was like yeah i don't think much of this project it's probably not going to go anywhere it's mostly just because of rights issues that it's coming out Uh, i wonder about that because they show footage that i think is supposed to be what the actors are talking about because he's like Basically like, oh, well, you know, I I think, uh, you know, I don't know much about it because they're not doing or this. We gave the rights to somebody else. That's the last time we're doing it. We're yeah. keeping the rights. A part of me really wonders if he had to change his tune. Like, from, like, I mean, he is Stanley was always a showman and it wouldn't surprise me if he was just like playing to different audiences when he was in the room. But like a part of me also wonders if like if the flip switched somewhere during that, like in between that time and like, you know, they decided they were going to buy the rights or like whatever was going to happen that caused the movie to be shelved happened behind the scenes during that time. So he had to like publicly not associate with the movie. I, I do. I do wonder if there's something to that. Um, Cause he does, he really like deflects quickly to be like, Oh, well, yeah, it's a movie. Well, but we, you know, we're going to make our own movies afterwards. Yeah. Like, well, it's also weird. Cause like, like you said, Tyler, it's more of a deflection. His comments aren't really all like it's not as disparaging yeah. as the actors make it sound. Yeah. So I and, appreciate and that they have that footage in there. But maybe there's other appearances too. You know, yeah, it, it could be. But but it, it could be the same thing where he's he's kind of just like shrugging it all off, bouncing onto it. You know, ah, oh, but we're gonna make mo- more movies, and do other yeah. things. So I don't know. 
fantastically fascinating. Yeah. It's fantastically four. Um, <laughs> uh, so I watched uh, a movie, actually. I'm trying to get back to like watching movies, and so I watched Good. one. Oh, are you going to recommend um, the first 27 minutes of Fantastic <laughs> Four 2005? Yes, I am. <laughs> do you, do you want to... Are you an alien who basically needs to know what movie dialogue is? Um, <laughs> do you want to see Chris Evans be great uh, and yeah. other stuff happen? Um, no, I, I watched another 90-minute movie, 92 or so. Uh, I watched Apple TV Plus's Causeway. This is a movie that was actually filmed in 2019 and released this year. So kind of like the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, and it is a story about a uh, soldier uh, played by Jennifer Lawrence who had a traumatic brain injury while serving in Afghanistan and then comes home and is adjusting to life back home and wanting to redeploy and, and going through just, you know, all that. And it, she within this, she befriends uh, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, who is always one of the best parts about things he's in. And uh, it's it's like it's kind of what you expect it is in the sense that it's an unlikely friendship movie. It's a soldier comes home and struggles to readjust movie. Um, it was the director. I think her name is Lila Neubager or Neubager. I don't know how to say her name. I think it's her first feature. She's directed for TV. But like I, I kind of like how uncomplicated it is. It's not revelatory. It's not like shocking. But it is. It is well done. It is observant. Stephen McKinley Henderson is in a couple of scenes, and he's always good. Um, really what it is is a showcase for two really good actors. Jennifer Lawrence is fantastic in it. Brian Tyree Henry is fantastic in it. And a lot of the movie is – it's mostly her, but a lot of it is the two of them just interacting. I feel like the movie gives them a lot of space. Like the script gives them a lot of space, but just the way it's shot, it's a lot of angles where they can really emote and gesture and perform with each other and <laughs> – it's uh it's just it's just nicely done. Uh like I said, not not gonna reinvent movies in your mind or anything, but it's it's done solidly and if you are a fan of either of those actors, definitely see it cuz I think it's some of the best work Jennifer Lawrence has done of what I've seen recently. Uh and uh, cuz she's a really good actor when she gets good stuff. And Brian Tyree Henry, always great. I don't so, know, Britton, did you <clears throat> I just was curious so I looked up my the new Bauer. Bauer. New, new. Oh, there's that's it. several Bauer. e's, several u's. I don't, you know. Yeah, I'm not going to continue to butcher that. Um, but apparently she's directed a lot of theater, which would explain oh. that she's been nominated for a Tony for theater direction, or for uh, say what? for best revival of a play. Sorry. Yeah. Did it say what play? Uh, the Waverly Gallon. I don't know it, but that's really cool. Well, that probably. also makes sense. I mean, I can see like, yeah, that makes sense in that she would make. You it yeah, I was going to say you were saying that. Cool that I was is. like, huh. That would check out. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I definitely, I think it's a, a, a cool movie to watch. And also for a movie that could be a really difficult subject, it's not difficult to watch in the sense of it's it's not graphic. They don't take you, she doesn't have some like super emotional breakdown in the middle of a grocery store. She's, they're not like flashing back to her time yeah. in Afghanistan. It's, it's more clement than that um, while still being sincere and taking it seriously so yeah it's on apple tv and it's called causeway um what you guys got britain you and i are both on the brian tyree henry train oh joker (laughs) train Train (gasps) is the operative word (laughs) oh i know two other movies you watched this week (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i watched i went i went to the library i went to go visit britain 
and I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna get some some movies with my new library card." And I I, I rented a few Good Men and Brick. Watched them both. They're both fine. Those are not what I'm recommending. Uh, I also, uh, because I had to renew my Netflix account to watch Glass Onion, I was like, all right, let me make some use of this. Get get, get my money's worth. I watched Bullet Train <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't want to see Megan. <laughs> I had a wonderful time with Bullet Train. It was a lot more fun than I was expecting. Um, okay. It's the best David Leach film I've seen, okay. uh, at all least right. of the ones that he is directed by himself. Sure. Um, I haven't seen Atomic Blonde, um, but it was absolutely delightful, and I think most of it comes from the cast. Um, you got Brad Pitt, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, um, and just like a whole bunch of other people, just like a smattering of people, like some fun cameos, some people show up that you think are going to be cameos, and then they're in there for a lot longer. It's It's just really, really neat. And it felt just like super crazy and I had no idea where it was going. And it was just, it was just an over the top action movie that actually made good on the premise. Um, Basically Brad Pitt is like, he's not an assassin, but he works in that line of work and he is supposed to grab a suitcase on a train and that's it. And it's a bullet train. Um, And then there's just a bunch of other different parties that are trying to get the suitcase and or kill other people on the train. It gets nuts. It is absolutely insane. And it's also got just like really fun, witty dialogue, just characters bantering at each other, particularly Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry are like, they are a team working together and they're just like throwing quips at each other left and right. It's great. There's a whole montage of them like flashing back to a previous mission they were on where they're disagreeing about the number of people that they killed. <laughs> it's it's great. Wild to think of the two of those people talking to each other. Yeah. That's, that's, it is the is. best Aaron Taylor Johnson performance I have seen. Like okay. he okay. really gets to have fun and let loose. And I I genuinely recommend like this is like this is the most fun I've had with an action movie in a good long while. You're selling me on this movie. More than uh, <laughs> more than the gray man? <laughs> that is <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say anything about The Gray Man. It's a perfectly fine C-minus of a movie. Interesting bland, you say? <laughs> um, no, this is not interesting bland. This is a lot of fun. And, and oh, like, yeah, no, sure. just the people that show up, I think both of you will get like big kicks out of them. Um, yeah, All I can't. Right, and it's it. just, it. just over two hours. Okay. All right. That <laughs> might be the point that you had to say to, to make me at least give it a shot. After, I've heard very mixed see- things from all over the place, but I have not given it a shot myself. I will say. A- after seeing the run times for Avatar and <laughs> Babylon, I was I was so relieved <laughs> when I saw <laughs> two hours and six minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, this is it, it's absolutely delightful. I I had a great time, and I was expecting to be bored and frustrated by a lot of the action, as I am with other David Leach films. Um, and it's also very colorful and neat and funny. All right. Guess I'm watching Bullet it. Bullet Train. It's not as bad as you think. <laughs> <laughs> and it's on Netflix. I kind of like this movie. It's, it's on Netflix. I don't know for how long. Is it not a Netflix original? Uh, I mean, or not. Or, I, I thought it was like a. Oh, like they acquired it. Yeah. Like I thought that that was like. I could be wrong. I'm not sure. I know it got like a full-on theater release. 
Right. Right. But I, I thought that that was like an excuse or something. I don't know. Could be wrong. Was it directed by Chris Columbus? Uh, uh, Britain Hiroyuki Sonata is in it and gets like full on sword fights. Okay. I feel like I does. Does he get to beat Jeremy Renner <laughs> and undo my problem with Endgame? <laughs> <laughs> no, I hey, love Jeremy I love Renner. Great. Is he, I'll I'll put it to you this way: he gets to fight another actor who has shown up in a superhero film. I'm not gonna tell you who. Johnny they, Legs! Because the answer will surprise you. <laughs> okay. Alex okay. Hyde-White? Martin Sheen? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, the, we, yeah, Jeremy Renner's in the hospital right now. I don't know if y'all saw that. That's true, yes. So yeah. I feel like we should address, apparently, I just saw earlier Poor time. earlier today that he's... Well, I mean, you know. You can, you can criticize a movie while also... <laughs> but, but no, he is... Uh, He's apparently doing like doing better. He just posted on Instagram, yeah. and he looks a little beat up. But uh, good good luck to his recovery. Uh, yes. I don't think we mentioned last episode the uh, maybe we did mention the Jeremy Renner's hot sauce bit. Um, we did glass onion. Okay, uh, that he that um, Benoit Blanc uses to make himself cry. It's that's a very good bit. Uh, yes. Set up and payoff. Um, and I like so the Hawkeye show. For that reason, I'm wishing Jeremy Renner a speedy recovery. I guess, but uh, this has been uh, apparently he was like trying to um, help somebody who was like stranded in the snow or something, and so there's and that's how the accident happened. So I wanted to raise that because you mentioned him, and I was like, oh yeah, probably like acknowledge that uh, he's gone through it, but apparently doing better. So good luck to him. Um, I'm going to recommend a, just there is no transition into this. Uh, Tyler, did you game. watch Bullet Train? I'm going to well? recommend Bullet Train. <laughs> I'm going to recommend. I don't. I don't. I can't even think of like what the more recent like interesting bland Netflix movies have been beyond that. Um, no, I'm going to recommend a video game that I saw popping up on some game of the year in the best of the year list that I had not heard of and sounded neat, so I wanted to check it out. Called uh, Case of the Golden Idol. Um, I have previously recommended Return of the Obra Dinn, which apparently inspired uh, the creators of this game, and you can definitely feel that. It is... It's really interesting. It's like a murder mystery kind of thing where you're you're basically solving... There's like 12 or 13 cases, uh, and you're solving um, in each individual case, trying to figure out kind of what happened. Like in, in pretty much every case, there is a murder of some sort, at least one, maybe more. And you're trying to piece together who did what. And you're just kind of looking at still images. And you've got the characters who are not dead are talking about what happened. Um, or maybe are unaware of what happened and just nearby. Um, and you, you're you just using the environment to pick up context clues and figure out what, what happened. Um, and you're like looking for items that you can then use to piece into. The, the way you solve the puzzles is by having a... Uh, basically like a, a scroll that you are filling in words in uh, as you go along. Like it's got pieces that you can kind of use to gain context for what happened, but big important words are missing throughout it. So then you have to like use the environment to pull the words and then put those words into the scroll and use that to solve the puzzle. Um, it's really neat. It's, it's a really cool idea. Um, it was like on sale on a steam thing. So I, I was like, okay, this sounds up my alley. I'll check it out. 
and it's a really cool like it, you're following the golden idol is this treasure that is you know maybe cursed or maybe magical uh and you're following its its path between different owners uh and what it ends up leading to is very interesting and it's kind of a bigger story than i expected um pretty quick to knock out it's not like a, a long game which your mileage may vary if you want something longer when, from your video games and that's or something it, i would say it doesn't really have much like replayability it's kind of a one-time experience um but yeah it probably took me like maybe 10 hours if that um yeah, you that can, sounds awesome you can knock it out pretty quickly uh and it's a it's just a really cool little experience that i is more of the kind of puzzle game where it's a lot more flexible in how you solve the things and how you think about things and lets you kind of like use use intuition to try and leap to the uh final conclusion so you can do some guesswork without making it feel like you you have to just like guess and trial and error there there's a lot of i've talked about this i think i talked about it when i recommended return of the Overton. there's a lot of puzzle games that i just totally bounce off of because like my brain does not want to work in the way the video game wants my brain to work for it to solve the puzzle there's not a criticism of those video games it's just like sometimes puzzle games tend to like lock you into very specific methods and solutions and how you want to go about things uh i really like this kind of style of of more flexible uh mystery solving uh, and i'd like to see more games try and take this approach so check it out yeah that sounds awesome i got some got some stuff to do while i was playing the modern warfare 2 campaign <laughs> there you go i you know just i think like that really gives you the space to explore how you want to get through the missions. So it's kind of the same idea. There you, go. you know, for Call of Duty standards, it did. <laughs> I've been playing Ghost of Tsushima and uh, it's great and long. And that's a good thing. <laughs> if you like Call of Duty, it's more of that. Play Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> Play Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> well, Watch Bullet Train. <laughs> yeah, I'm going. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> next week, I don't know if I'll be recommending Bullet Train or Megan or, I don't know, Onibaba or something. Hold on. Oh, oh, hold on. You've made a grave mistake, sir. You can never refer to it as Megan again. Mim3 again. Uh, thank you. the Grin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite Rings of Power character. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even though we got him wrong. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> but I will be discussing the uh, r remaining hour and 18 minutes of Fantastic Four 2005, um, a film I've never seen. Look, Imthagrin so. never used a sword in the books, and I just don't know why they thought they could <laughs> let her fight. That's not, doesn't make any sense uh, for for women elves to fight at that time. It's just, I don't, they, that's not my Imthagrin. I just want a good story. I, I don't care who makes I it. Can't, I can't believe they they messed it up that badly it's just just totally shredding the lore in front of my eyes i would love if m3gan is the way i get back to the movie theater <laughs> yeah guys i just couldn't really i just haven't been feeling like going to the theater so I, but i finally went back oh were you seeing tar were you seeing like the fablemans or triangle of sadness Avatar the, two. yeah broker like what were you checking out uh, decision to leave no i was seeing m3 again <laughs> it's hilarious she crawls on her feet at one she crawls on all fours at one point it was nuts tyler I, I love how you basically wrote out my review for rings of power without me having even watched it yeah 
that was very that was very good. that had a lot of alex energy to it <laughs> i feel like we should also explain um because uh, we're talking about uh m3 again i don't know we've kind of like referenced it i don't know if we've said it and i don't want to like totally date this podcast i want to give you some context context um in it, it's i assume it's actually supposed to be pronounced megan but it's a it's a movie that's coming out uh we've we've seen the trailers uh recently uh, i think alex and i saw it before black panther um it's about a uh this this sweet little robot girl um who then uh is kind of getting like tortured by her creator uh and all she wants to do is have fun with uh her friend who is the creator's daughter um so then she's having to like kind of figure out how to navigate this new world because she's a robot it's kind of like my life as a teenage robot if you remember that show um same kind of vibes um where she's just trying to live her life and, and fit in and um you know kind of these these horrible awful people aren't letting her so uh yeah that's that's uh that's that movie so um have they haven't released reviews of it yet but i'm expecting good things i think we'll uh, oh, i'll yeah, be checking that probably. out that's that's what the trailer was missing it needed to play all i want to do is have some fun that's that's <laughs> what it was that <laughs> that would have sold okay good. you want to get a butt in the seat that would have gotten me girls <laughs> that's there that's <laughs> gotta be in that movie <laughs> oh go well uh, phoebe bridgers is in yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um if you want more hard-hitting uh up-to-date film analysis uh, that is not about avatar 2 <laughs> as long as it's not about avatar 2 we that, that is not our problem until they make avatar 3 um and even then <laughs> Uh, <laughs> by 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 that time we'll be like all right guys time to knock out all the the terrible horror franchises yeah let's we'll do just, this we'll just go on a run um if you want to find more of that uh you can find us online at here come the sequels blogspot.com you can email us at here come the sequels at gmail.com we are on twitter at hct sequels um you can find us on spotify any any general podcast apps check us out on all of those Give us the Leprechaun movies before Avatar. (laughs) Tell us to watch the Leprechaun movies. (laughs) Actually, yeah. I will add that to the list. (laughs) Give us a space in one of them. Tell us not to let Britain make us do the the Leprechaun movies. Or the Avatar That's a still from M3 again? Tyler, Tyler, all I can say is we we have we have the voting majority if 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 it comes to it. Yeah, Until Britain uh, talks you into it because you're like sleep deprived. I think I am like the one most susceptible to being talked into bad franchise ideas. Yes. And also generating bad franchise ideas. So Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not I wouldn't count on me for being the out here. Look, look, I, I'm just saying there's a fifty fifty shot that you would approve that. <laughs> I mean, there are fewer leprechaun movies than Friday the thirteenth or Nightmare on Elm Street, so mm. uh but there's only one bullet train. But you really need to get the context for the Leprechaun movies, I think. With That's the other true. Slasher. Uh, true. Much like Divergent, which we have set up now. <laughs> Hunger Games. Yep. Uh, do we Send us memes. Yeah, send us memes. Like and subscribe wherever you want to like and subscribe to something. Um, yeah. If you want to like and subscribe on Tumblr, tell me. I'll make a Tumblr. For the podcast. <laughs>
but we're not joining your role play. No. Man. Well, Alex might. Alex will. I also. I don't. Alex has. <laughs> All of us. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that, 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 that really weird, um, Ed, Ed, Nettie slash conjuring <laughs> roleplay did last night. That was Alex. Yeah. You see that, that, that mystery player has just got a giant question mark for the profile picture. <laughs> this guy. And insisted that he play as Johnny and that Plank was his like familiar or something. <laughs> Plank would be friends with Annabelle. I'm just saying. <laughs> Look, Plank would be friends with M. Thregan. Let's let's. Oh, yes, he really true. he would. All right. Now that uh, we've put that we crossover in your heads, I've been Alex. <laughs> I've been Britain. I've been Tyler. Um, thank you, Martin Scorsese, for preserving this film for us to talk about. <laughs> uh, and to all of you, you are having a good night. Bullet train. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>